Extraordinary. Leader. Innovative. Integrity. Honest. Courageous. Curious. Thoughtful. Brave. Unafraid. There is a place where technology and art meet, where work and play are one and the same. When the threads of curiosity are pulled in this place, the spark of innovation ripples across industries. Those who make this place their home are giants, titans who pursue creative passion while leaving their mark. Creative. Flexible. Brilliant. Clever. Confident. They are courageous thought leaders set on changing the practice of dentistry and their corner of the world. More than the sum of their parts, we deconstruct the traits that bind these uncommon innovators. Humble, daring, disciplined, playful, principled, spontaneous. To discover what makes them contrary to ordinary, where we explore the extraordinary. Hi there. I'm Dr. Kim Cooch, host and founder at Carry Free. I'm fascinated by what makes the paradigm shifters, world shakers, and art makers tick. Let's embark on a journey. Extraordinary is a place where ordinary people choose to exist. Together, we will trek the peaks of possibility, illuminate the depths of resilience, and navigate the boundless landscape of innovation. To discover how some of the most innovative dentists and thought leaders unlock their potential, and became extraordinary. Welcome to Contrary to Ordinary, the show where we explore the motivation, lives, and character of the innovators who see limitless potential around them, the people behind some of the largest paradigm shifts in the practice of dentistry and beyond. This is part two of my interview with pastor and author Laura O'Brien. In part one, Laura recounted some of the stories featured in her upcoming book, Hell on Wheels. We also explored Laura's unconventional path to faith. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about Laura's life now and how many of the lessons she's learned in her journey as a pastor can be applied to all leaders in their own niches. Laura is a mentor to many, but who has guided her along the way? Corby Ward, who was a theater teacher in high school, okay. who just let me be. Right. You know, who didn't I never, judge you, didn't... never did a production. I just took his classes because it was the place I felt safest. Uh-huh. And he actually, in the end, he helped me the most as a pastor and a preacher. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then definitely Ron, he changed my life, literally. What kind of traits would you identify? A couple of main traits in those, in those people. I would say they're authentic. There's not two sides up to them. Right. What you what see is, is what, you, is what get. you get. And I love that. And that, for me as a pastor, you know, at every interview I've ever done, who you see is what you get. I'm not going to be somebody else. I'm not going to interview one way and turn around and be something else. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, not in your DNA. It is. It's like right out there, you make a mistake, you own a mistake, you move on. And I would say, at the end of the day, the best people is just the most authentic. And I have this much tolerance for people who play you. Right. Like, I have none. Yeah. And and that's probably my biggest fault is because I can accept you that you might be that way. Right. But once it crosses a line, we done. Right. And that's a hard one, I think, because when you're a pastor, you know, you're supposed to turn the other cheek. You're supposed to do this. And I'm like, this well, is me serve. turning the right. other cheek because right. otherwise I'd kill you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. 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 I just have to walk away before I kill, kill you. Kill you. Yeah. That's me. Showing you grace, yes. So what would you consider your greatest success in life? My marriage? Uh Uh-huh. I do. We've known each other since 1994, almost 30 years. And 
we've gone through a lot. It's not easy being a pastor, so I call it the pastor's wife. It's not. Uh-huh. We've grown together. We've changed together. We've raised uh-huh. a child together. I would say, yeah, that is. Okay. And being a mom. Yeah. What would you consider your greatest challenge then? Being a wife and being a mom. <laughs> being a wife and being a mom. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, no, I'd say the greatest challenge is just accepting life on life's terms uh-huh. and accepting other people on the, the terms that they are. I drove down to uh, San Luis Obispo with my daughter and my right. niece. And she, you know, when you're 20, everything's drama. She was having problems with somebody. And I said, well, what are you going to do when after you go and talk to them, nothing changes? You're going to have to make a choice right. whether you want that person in your life or not. Can you accept them? for who they are and let go of the expectation of who you want them to be. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest challenge, I think, in everybody's life. And and particularly, I think, at age 20. Because you know everything. You know everything at 20. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, um, you know, as we get older, (laughs) right? If I knew (laughs) what I I didn't know. I just find in my own life experience, I just find that I know less. Yeah. And I'm more comfortable with ambiguity. I have my boundaries, however, have become more fixed. Like for me, it's that, that. But do you uh, find your boundaries a little wider out? Oh, they're wider. And I'm yeah. more tolerant and more accepting. Yeah. But at the same point in time, for me, the, the biggest piece is integrity, right? Yeah. Honesty and integrity. And that's the most important piece. And if, if I have somebody in my life that isn't honest or. Yeah. Like they're not in my life anymore. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's just, it's you know, like, I can love you, but you know what? I, I'm, I'm not doing this. B- but yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just get rid of your expectations of people. Set them for yourself, but don't set them for others. Yeah. And uh, otherwise, you're going to continually be ticked off. Be disappointed with, with what somebody yeah. else did that you have absolutely no control right. over. In ministry, you know, when you first come out of seminary, you do know everything. You know, you've just been crammed full of information and you're not very considerate of the fact that you're going into a place that might have been there for 100 years Uh and they know a lot more than you do. And that's a humble pill that every first call pastor has to swallow. We do it. And I know that our church is going to be looking at pastors as stay away from a first call because, or be prepared for it. My way of looking at things now is let me just sit back and see what you guys do right. for about a year. Let me understand you. You. So the first thing I'll do down there is I'll take the, the different committee leaders to coffee. Right. Tell me what you're doing. What's working? What do you right. want to make work better? Right. How can I assist you in that? Right. Don't yeah. let me tell you how to do it because I don't even know how to do it. I know how to do it at Good Shepherd. Don't know how to do it down there. Right. Uh, so that's a big thing that comes with just maturity. That uh-huh. There's a lot more you don't know than you do know. Right. And your experience will be an asset, but it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to define everything. Right. And so what I think should happen, I, I don't, you know, that's one of the things I ask. What would you do different? I said, right, right away, nothing. Right. You guys are doing fine. Yeah. What? Why would I come in and tell you you're doing it all wrong? Right. That's stupid. Yeah. Yeah. And then what, what I also learned is people want to be heard. Let them tell you. Yeah. Listen to it. Re, even regurgitate it back. Yeah so that they know that they've been heard. And then even if you want to change everything, you 
tell them it. And then they tell you this, they have a really great idea. And you say, great, that's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Being brought in as a leader who is seen as a change maker is an honor. However, as Laura says here, you need time to soak in what business as usual looks like before you make any radical decisions. When Alan Mulally joined the Ford Motor Company as CEO in 2006, the organization was in really bad shape. By the end of his tenure in 2014, Ford had completely turned around and had weathered the financial crash of 2008 without having to access a government bailout. How did Mulally do all of this? Well, he never resorted to hasty decisions that could have had detrimental long-term effects. He had a long-term vision, and that started with an honest assessment of how things were. Context is always key. Laura has a responsibility to provide context for what she's preaching and teaching. Scripture is easily broken up into chunks that can be attached to any agenda. So Laura takes the contextual education aspect of her work very seriously. I try to teach it in a sermon yeah, because yeah. it needs to be contextualized because otherwise if you, it's like an equation. If yeah. you're starting at the wrong place, you're not going to get the right answer, right? But one of the things I've always done with the sermon is I like having a, a lectionary because it keeps you honest. Right. I can't just go be biased on my little topic, right. but sometimes they'll cut it up to make it say a thing that it doesn't say. I know you've probably been there and I say, don't open up your Bible. Let's yeah. read what they cut out. Right. Let's go back a few verses here and make this contextual. Yeah. And then let's talk about it. Yeah. Because the lectionary, it has its own agenda too, because somebody made it. Right. But if you don't know your Bible and you don't know your history, and that's, think about our culture today. They don't know their history. So I think one of the things that I appreciate is having that historical context. Yeah. When you look at the Bible and then also... Well, then bringing it to today. Yeah. Right. So, so what does this mean? What does this mean? And what does it mean for us, like yeah. here and now? Because that's the value of the Bible and the purpose of that is, yeah. to, to, is for here and it's now. It's kind of two parts. You have to remember the Bible wasn't written for us. And that, for Dick writing that, oh, he, he really struggled when I said that once. Right. You have to realize it was not written for us. Yeah. It, we use it. And it's for us, right? But those those letters were not oh, right. intended it's all for us. All, yeah, they yeah. weren't. Yeah. So you have to understand who they were written for, why they were written, what they were discussing, right? Right. And then apply it. Yeah. But don't apply it without taking that into consideration. And you do need to know your history to I mean, do Paul, that. All of Paul's letters were written had, two people, two congregations, two people. Yeah. Yes. At the time. And for it, a problem. For a problem, right? They, Only one letter isn't about a, a congregation in turmoil, and that's yeah. to the Philippians. The rest of them, I mean, he says some pretty nasty things to them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and you're like, wow, I wish I could do that sometimes. <laughs> but, uh, but it does help to know that most of the congregations he's writing to are in conflict. Uh-huh. So when you're in a congregation and there's conflict, that's normal. Everybody wants it to be a kumbaya moment in a church, but he's constantly saying, he's constantly trying to get them to re 
center themselves. You quit fighting with each other, right. quit caring about this, that, and the other. Do what you're supposed to be doing. Well, a, con- a congregation is a community right. of people. Yeah. And within any community ever, yeah. there's always going to be conflict. Yes. Right? Yeah. And, and I think the one other thing that I think that I appreciate about that as well is when you contextualize it and then bring it forward is that you realize in 2,000 years, People we haven't changed all that much. Haven't changed at all, Laura. Then I start to think some of this is baked in our DNA. It is. Right? It's created in our DNA because I look at this stuff and I think, what, really? And then it's like, well, that's still happening today. I yeah. mean, in 2,000 years, we haven't learned, learned anything. Thing. We have this saying in the dental profession circle the wagons. Yeah. And make sure all the guns are pointing out. <laughs> yeah. Right? Because we have a tendency to shoot each other. Each other. Right? Yeah. And and so it's like be focused out, not in. Yeah. You know, circle the wagon. But we have this hardship or whatever. Yeah. It's going on, this challenge. Okay, let's circle the wagons, but let's make sure that, that we're not we got each other's back. You're not and, and the we're Donner dealing, Party. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Don't cannibalize yourselves. The dental profession is tough, and many find the physical and mental toll of the work that we do grueling. It makes sense that we band together and have each other's backs, circling the wagons to protect our own when the conditions are as harsh as they are. Indeed, we might be right in thinking that our human nature doesn't change that much. Historian and author Arnold J. Toynbee thought so. In his monumental work, A Study of History, published between 1934 and 1961, Toynbee examined the rise and fall of civilizations throughout history. He proposed that civilizations experience recurring patterns of challenge and response, and he identified certain constants in human behavior in relation to this. This cycle of history might tell us something about why we're always pointing our guns outward, but we have to remember that human nature isn't just about these two constants of challenge and response. There are some people, like Laura, who are trying to leave the world better than when she found it. Whether it's a congregation or a community or anywhere, I I just want to leave it better than where I found it. Mm-hmm. I don't care if I'm remembered or whatever. That's irrelevant. That's it. And to make a difference. To make a difference, but to make a difference in a way that they don't even know you made a difference. I love those type of people uh-huh. that were just quiet leaders. And and I always want people to feel better about me being there. I don't know. I, I hope that like these last 13 years was like a lot of fun for people uh-huh. with some hard things in the middle of it. Yeah. But could laugh, you know, and say, that was really good. That was a time. And that's what I mean by better. So that's pretty much what drives me. I also know that I really do believe in the kingdom of God. Uh-huh. I, I really do. And I don't know what it will look like. I don't have an idea, but I want to work towards it. And to me, that's always justice and mercy and mm-hmm. um, those things um, right. that are just faith. That's really what motivates me. Just there is something bigger than you and me. Right. And just to be a part of that mission is pretty uh-huh. cool. What um, What's your favorite thing about being a pastor? And of all the duties? This? This? Yeah. Just talking to people. Uh-huh. I like preaching. Preaching, uh-huh. though, has never been that hard. It's kind of like, like probably for you to 
drill a tooth. It's, a, it's, it's what I do. And I enjoy it. I enjoy the process and whatever. I hate like pastoral visits that are like formal, but just sitting down, going to have a cup of coffee with somebody and chatting and finding out about them and sharing back and forth and having a laugh. That's what I like. I hate administrative work. I hate all that. The other thing I really love is for people to figure out what they're really good at and let them fly with that. That's cool to see somebody who didn't think they could do something, do it and feel empowered by it. That is a really good feeling. And all you have to do is go, go. That's a good idea. Go with it. Hi, contrary to ordinary listeners, we're going to take a short break from this conversation for our segment, Questions with Dr. Kim. Don't go anywhere. In this segment, I'll answer a listener's question about their dental health. If you have a dental question that you want answered, then send it to podcast at carryfree.com. That's C-A-R-I-F-R-E-E.com and add questions with Dr. Kim in the subject line. If your question gets read out on the show, then we'll send you a small gift to say thanks for checking in. This week's question reads, Dear Dr. Cooch, Happy New Year. I was wondering what you think of dental probiotics like Streptococcus salivarius Bliss K12. I keep seeing health journal articles coming out on things like this, helping with the dental microbiome as well as immune system improvement. I'm curious, but don't want to mess up anything in my mouth. Thanks. I loved your book. Thanks so much for the question. We know that probiotics work extremely well in the gut. In the mouth, there have been many attempts over the years to find a probiotic that would help reduce a person's risk for cavities. Unfortunately, none of them have reported a very positive result, with one exception. Probiotic milk, drank frequently, will help reduce the risk for cavities in children. Beyond that, nothing to report about probiotic effects against tooth decay. But if you want to take a probiotic, I don't think there is any downside. The study about cross-reacting with the COVID spike protein was interesting. Personally, I take a probiotic every day for gut health. I hope this helps. And if you, dear listener, would like more information on all things dental, then head to carryfree.com, C-A-R-I-F-R-E-E.com, where we've got more resources on dental health and our line of carry-free products that can help you keep a healthy smile. But let's get back to the conversation. Yeah. What, um, what goals do you have for the rest of your life at this point? At this point, my biggest goal is get this book published. Okay. I mean, I will say that. Right. I really have a, I really feel good about it. I feel like right. it's a great story. I, I, and I don't care if it's even about, you know, it's, it is mine, but it really is kind of a fun, crazy, out of this world thing. But a story of discovery and survival. Survival and, and everything. Aside from that, I wanted, I want to help the next church. Uh-huh. I do. Right. I want to see what we can do together down there. And right. uh, yeah, I do. Yeah. And I want to get Katie through high school and those things. She, she doesn't have the plan that you had to, you know, the 1.9, 4Fs. Uh, no, she always tells me that, Mom, just to succeed you is in high school is so minimal. 
<laughs> you set the bar pretty low. I said, bar. yeah, that's basically what she was telling me. She goes, all I have to do is go to school and I'll be above you. And I'm like, oh, just shut up. <laughs> so, yeah, and I want uh, I want my husband to be happy. To, you know, those things. Mm-hmm. I, for myself, you kind of learn to go through life and just adapt and be, I really feel like you should be where you're planted uh-huh. and find peace where you're planted. Right. Um, so I don't really that. Trying to figure out what the Trader Joe's is, is that's going to be the hardest thing, maybe. Finding peace where you're planted is a noble goal. I think it's something that could help a lot of people who feel dissatisfied with their lives or are having a change forced upon them. Stoic philosophy is increasingly popular these days. This might be because it offers a path toward feeling in control of your life despite the circumstances and reality of it. Epictetus, a Stoic philosopher who lived in ancient Greece during the first and second centuries AD, coined the term dichotomy of control. He said that our lives are divided into two aspects, what we can control and what we can't. Ultimately, we need to let go of what we can't control and work on the things that we can. We need to find peace with our personal circumstances. Laura spends a lot of time working hard, but I wonder, What does she do for fun? I write. Uh I I do enjoy it. And getting to meet different people, especially in the writing world, I Uh I really enjoy that. Uh Otherwise, you know, working with older people, they've taught me a lot of what not to do. Uh And I don't want to ever just sit because Uh that's that's Uh the biggest killer. That's the it's, it's not anything else. It's sitting and not moving. Yeah. So I work out, I run, uh-huh. I bike, I do whatever I can. And I pray to God that I'm always able to do that right. because that's what keeps you going. Just keep moving. I remember my grandfather, he worked really hard, farmed yeah. with my dad and worked really hard. And when he retired, he would have been 74. And, Which is young. And you would have guessed that he was 50. Yeah. He was so physically fit, and he made the decision that I've worked hard all my entire life, and now I get to sit and enjoy, and I'm going to sit in my rocker and enjoy my, you know. Retirement. My retirement. And within two years, he couldn't get up out of the rocker. That's crazy. his own power. And it's just like, I remember watching that and going like, Don't I'm do not going to do that. Yeah, right. see, my grandma was 92 when she passed away, uh-huh. and we have a picture of her at 88 at the Great Wall of China, and she would go, <laughs> she would travel all yeah. over the place, and she, we called her Flossie, and she was about four foot ten. She was a go-getter, and she was a good role model, and yeah. a lot of, I would, she's yeah. gone now, and she'd probably spin in her grave if she heard me say that, because yeah. uh, she drove me nuts, but she was a role model yeah. in that way. What's one thing about you that people probably don't know? Well, they know pretty much everything because, man, you're just out there for everybody. Actually, I'm more of an introvert than most people know. Really? I'm more than happy on my own. Mm -hmm. And I need that to kind of just decompress. After a worship service, I have to go home and take a nap for about an hour. Okay. Every Sunday. Because you're on. Yeah, you are on. Were you ever nervous in terms of public speaking? Does that? No, no. That, you don't get anxious from that. No, that's a gift 
That, that, that's a gift from God. I really believe that. And it sounds arrogant, you know, whenever I interview, I say, oh, I, have a, I have a gift for preaching. And then they go, oh, you do. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. okay. We're all good. Yeah. Uh, it's like Seth Bono saying, I have a gift for writing songs. Yeah, right. you do. Yeah. Okay. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. We'll let you live with that. So no, not really. Okay. Yeah. I don't get those butterflies. But They're, you're just more of an introvert than an extrovert. Uh, yeah, more of an introvert yeah. than an extrovert. And uh, that probably surprises people. They probably think you just want to go, go, go. Right. And I, I don't, don't, don't. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Well, I, one of the people that I've interviewed, one of my mentors, in the process, she's one of the most gifted speakers I've seen. Yeah. She's so comfortable in front of an audience. And as I'm interviewing her, asking these kind of questions, she says, I'm terrified of public speaking. I'm terrified. And I'm like, I, I, I was stunned. Really? Right, because I'm just, nobody has ever noticed that, right? Because yeah. you are good at hiding that because I like, you seem so comfortable in front of an audience that it's like. Do you know what, what, what helps, Kim, is that you know your material. Yeah. Oh, and she knows if you it. know uh, your I material, mean, literally, then you're good. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You get butterflies. You know. I know that that second reading's yeah. almost over, and I got to stand and, up and, and do get, it. You know, it's yeah. You and, got. To, do I have everything in order? I don't preach from a text, so right. I have to go through my. You don't head. have a written. No. You never have a written. No. Sermon. No. Yeah. I do. It's at home. Right. With some notes, and then I go to bed. But it does take a lot. You know. You do have to be on. Right. And oh, it yeah. is a oh, absolutely. And I hate to say it, but it is a performance. Right. No, it is. And you have to be available to everybody, and you can't have a bad day on Sunday. There are many professions where having a bad day can really cause some damage. It seems pretty obvious that dentistry is one of them. But you might not think about how much spiritual damage one could do in a pastor's position if they're having an off day. Faith is complex by nature and is shaped strongly by leaders of any given community. Faith is also a place where people go to find relief and solace. It's the responsibility of pastors and other leaders to nurture that trust, which is why bad days can be disastrous. Likewise, faith leaders need to be able to adapt and think about the future. I think a lot about the impact of AI in my field, but I wonder what Laura thinks about it. I do believe that God knew all about AI way before before we anybody could, yeah discovered it right. or created yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you go all the way back to the garden. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's it, a temptation. And so it hasn't changed. What's the human tempt- behavior hasn't changed? What's the temptation in the garden? Yeah. It's the desire to, to be, be like, like God, God. To to know to know what God, God knows. wants. Yeah. And then we want to not only be like God. We want to be, be God. God. Yeah, yeah. That's what it's all about. And yeah. we not. And um, somebody will say, "I don't want to be God." So yeah, you do. You want to tell that person who they can love and who they can't love. You want to tell that person what they can do and what they can't do. You want to tell. But have you ever turned that little mirror around and looked at yourself? Yeah. No. No. Yeah. So yeah. So that's it. It cycles and cycles and cycles. Yeah. AI is being God. It's just yeah. It's just way, another way we want to be God. And what happens if it crashes? Uh, I don't know. Right? <laughs> and, and I'm sure that, and, and I look at all the potential really good things that come out of it. Yeah. 
but then somebody will use it for evil. It will be a it will be a weapon. It'll be a we- it'll be weapon. Oh yeah, yeah, it'll be weaponized. I mean, yeah. Oppenheimer never had a desire to make a weapon. Yeah, he just wanted to figure out about atoms and yeah. what they do and what powers in them and how they work and, and how they work interacted and and, yeah. that, and they're always a weapon. Yeah. Sticks and stones become weapons. Exactly. Even the sticks and rocks become weapons, Weapons. right? Yeah. Anything else you want to add today here? No, just, Kim, I do want to say that it's been a pleasure being your pastor. It really has. And I've told people, if people don't know who you are, I always say, I hope I have a a hundred Kim and Dana's because first of all, Good Shepherd wouldn't float real well without you guys, but you've never been demanding. You've never pushed an agenda or said, I want it my way. You've just been a great parishioner and hopefully a friend over yeah. time. Oh, and uh, and it's never been anything but an honor really to to find out that, you know, really good, good people are out there. And you and, and Dana are. Oh, thank you. And uh and I did yeah, it's been a it's been an honor, you know, and you guys taught me a lot too. I always go, oh what what's the agenda? And you, you don't have one. It's, it's awesome. My, it, it's my house of worship. It's where yeah. I. It's where I go to feed my soul. Uh, yeah. Once a week when I'm in town. <laughs> when you're in town. <laughs> yeah, we went through stuff together, and we oh, went yeah. through some dark stuff. Really and, hard uh, time. Yeah, and I've just been. Uh, that was a. You asked what. That's what I like. Yeah. You know that's. Oh, I a, appreciate you having been there. Yeah. So it, it meant with the world, us at that yeah. time. And um, it wasn't the easy, you know, with Bob, that was hard. That was hard. That was the hardest thing I've been through. Yeah. And it was hard. And it was hard. But the nice thing is I knew exactly what you were going through. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And one of the blessings I have from what I went through with my dad is I know what you guys are experiencing. I know what you don't have to do. You don't need to plan a service. You don't need to worry yeah. about music. You don't. Yeah. The, if I can take that whole section away from people's lives and make your life easier during what two weeks' time, right? Yeah. What a blessing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a gift to be able to give it. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And and it does make people's lives easier. You oh, know, I've yeah. had them come to me and say, "We didn't have to do anything." Yeah, We're like oh, right, and, and, and we couldn't have. No, you're right? not in a play, space to do it. Yeah, and I know that, and we all know that, and so, and it's been funny to watch in the church because everybody who's ever gone through it and received that, it's a gift. It's a gift. Yeah, yeah. They want to contribute to the next person yeah, who needs absolutely. that gift, and so I kind of call it awful grace because it's an awful experience to go through, but right. what a blessing to be able to give it now to the next person. Yeah, because yeah. nobody gets out of here alive. No, <laughs> and, and nobody in life doesn't have struggles and challenges. Right. Right. You don't get out of here without some scars. No, you don't. Nobody does. Nobody right? does. And so I think being kind and understanding because of your own scars, yeah. you know, to people that are going it through Makes you that. a better person. Makes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that's all I wanted to say. Oh, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Laura. Yeah, you're welcome. Laura's road has been long and winding. I think her willingness to not just accept faith as it was originally presented to her makes her an excellent leader in our community. She's open, and I feel breathes life into the scripture. Thank you so much, Pastor Laura O'Brien, for speaking with me today. Laura has been at the Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Albany, Oregon for 13 years, but is soon moving on to another congregation. I'll miss hearing Laura speak. 
but I'm also excited that other people will get the opportunity to hear her teaching and experience her warmth. And thank you for coming on this journey with me today. Around here, we aim to inspire and create connections. We can't do it without you. If this conversation moved you, made you smile, or scratched that little itch of curiosity today, please share it with the extraordinary people in your life. And if you do one thing today, let it be extraordinary. <laughs>